Wars. Episode 0008, The Old Show. No country for old men versus there will be blood. You know what I'm going to say. Let's drink some fucking milkshakes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 0008 of Movie Wars Podcast. I wouldn't listen to your podcast if you gave it to me as a gift. I'm your host, Kyle. What's up, guys? I'm Drew, and I got here the same way the coin did. And I'm Phil, and I don't have a son, and his name is not HW. Your host is giddy today. You want to know why? Why? Because it's No Country for Old Men versus There Will Be Blood Day. It's like the Super Bowl for me. When we started this podcast, this was the first one I wrote down. We pushed it off for a lot of good reasons. There's a lot there. There's a lot to dissect. These are two masterpieces. But uh, I woke up today just stoked. Quick story. Before this podcast was conceived, Kyle hits me with a voice memo one day, and he's like, yo, I think I want to do a movie podcast. And it's just like, it was just 10 minutes of him talking about There Will Be Blood. (laughs) So yeah, in a lot of ways, these movies are the reason that this podcast exists. And the reason is, is these are two movies that changed the way I viewed film. The minute the internet was available to me in my life, I had to go read about directors and actors. I wanted to know everything they did. I've always had this deep curiosity, but these movies challenged me philosophically. They challenged me in really, because they're American films. I, I don't, I can't think of any more modern films in the last 20 years that really identify as American as much as these two do. It's, they take place in America. They emphasize American ideals. Um, I can think of hundreds, but that's... Yeah. Hundreds <laughs> of films? Yeah, I'm go ahead. Name them all. Uh, America One, America Two, <laughs> America Plane. Uh, you got America me. I can't five name any. Of them. Real, that was the real winner right there. And Rocky. I was yeah. forty years ago. America World. You know, and these these movies. And what's funny is they they're very connected in a lot of ways. But I was talking to somebody that they were asking what we we're doing next, and they're like, "Well, how are those connected?" And I reminded them that in two thousand eight, they they were like within a hair of each other for best film. No Country won, but these were the clear cut. Um, here's the nominations that year for for No Country for Old Men. The list of accolades goes like. Like this nominated for best picture best director best supporting actor best adapted screenplay best cinematography best film editing best sound editing best sound mixing it'd be easier to say what it wasn't nominated for of course it won best picture best directors best supporting actor and best adapted screenplay i was gonna say if this movie didn't win best supporting actor which i'm assuming is uh javier bardem mm-hmm. yeah then and it won. I'd, I'd have smacked my mic stand and knocked it over out of rage from 14 years ago amen to that and we will get to that because that is a huge that's going to be a huge discussion in the casting categories. Oh, yeah. There Will Be Blood, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, Best Film Editing. It didn't win all those. It only won Best Actor and Best Cinematography, rightfully so. But these films were, and they were filmed in the same place. And we'll get to this rando, but uh, we'll go and do a rando early. But literally, they were doing a pyrotechnics test on the set of There Will Be Blood, and it interfered with a scene in No Country for Old Men, and they had to, like, completely stop while There Will Be Blood did their pyrotechnics scene. Why don't you move your movie across the, the, the fucking desert there? <laughs> I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis, he's a method actor. That would be fun if he walked across to the other set as, you know, Daniel Plainview and did his Daniel Plainview thing. So, you know, but these films, they some, another question someone asked me about how they're connected, and I was thinking through this, you know, 9-11 had this weird reverberation through art. I don't know hmm. if you two have ever thought about this, but it's I think it stayed with us. Like, for example, Drew and I watched Die Hard 2, and we both kind of, like, shivered at the plane crash scene. Remember, that's a very, that movie's got a lot yes. of levity to it, but it just kind of was, even though that was a long time ago, when you say long, it feels like it was a while ago. Seeing a plane crash in a movie, it was a terrorist thing. Like yeah, the, hijacking in general is just, it's you out. don't touch that. These, yeah. It just shook me. And and when you brought it up, I was like, yeah, that kind of makes me a little nauseous. But there is this reverberation in these, you know, the last 10 years. And I was thinking about 2007. You know what show came out in 2007? The Simpsons. Okay, bad idea. Lost? Lo- no. <laughs> no, that was really good. Too. Maybe. Oh, uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. You said plane crash, so I thought. Oh, crashing on a yeah, yeah, sorry. I disconnected uh, You thought. said plane. I thought the Simpsons, you know. Okay. <laughs> In this episode I'm of the podcast, playing. Lost versus Simpsons. <laughs> this is where we this is where we leave podcasting. I was thinking about the anti-hero. And I know that at surface level, stick with me here, you may not look at Anton Chigurh and uh, and Daniel Plainview as anti-heroes, but they really are. Because think about it, they live by a code. And that's really what defines someone as an anti-hero. They may be doing bad things, but when you look at what, you know, Chigurh is surrounded by, even though he's doing horrible things, he's surrounded by people that aren't living by a code. You know, when you look at Tommy Lee Jones' character, Ed 
Ed Tom. He's soft. He's aging. He doesn't know how to react to the violence. He's insecure. You look at Josh Brolin's character, Llewellyn Moss. He obviously, he takes the money. So he technically commits a crime on a crime scene, steals evidence, which is what sets off the whole movie. Anton Chigurh is the only one living by a code as brutal, as violent, as horrible as it is. The, and the book talks about this. It's really interesting. I wondered about the relevance of the coin. In the book, he says the reason he uses the coin, he can't be vulnerable. He can't have decisive factors. He views himself as the enforcer of fate. He, but he tells her in the book before he kills Llewellyn's wife, he goes, the reason I do the coin is because it's my only act of vulnerability that I can have. And if I can give you any false, even if it's a false sense of hope, I'll give it to you with the coin. So it's for him, the coin is the only act of vulnerability he is I loved of. the coin thing. I do too. Yes. It's a little cliched, but I do love the way they used it because like you said, it, he enforced it, but he was also the victim of fate. Mm -hmm. like yeah. He, he, he did whatever he the coin He didn't just said. make other people's yeah. fate come to the chance. Like he, he also, his decisions were determined by them. And I'm sure we'll get into this more, but the scene at the uh, gas station with the gas station attendant, that's something I love about like a Coen Brothers film or a Tarantino film or something like that, how they give so much space for those narrative moments. They're going back and forth. It's just building so much suspense and then he busts out the coin and it's like as the viewer, it like all comes together. Like whatever this guy, like at first you're not sure, is he being serious with this coin? And then it all comes together and, and he's for real. Like whatever happens with the coin is what's going to happen in real life. And, you know, obviously the, the gas station dude lives and he gives it to him and he's like, don't put it in your pocket. It's your like, lucky quarter. This is your lucky quarter. If you do, it'll become like all the others or whatever, you know. Which it is. That was such a chilling line. Gosh. I didn't even know why. When he said that, I was like, that felt profound and I'm not even sure what he meant, but there's something there. I feel like there was layers there that you could unpack. In two sentences, he takes you on a ride. He goes, that's your lucky quarter. You don't want it to become like all the others or just like all the other coins. He goes, which it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Genius. It's like because there was, he just kept peeling it back. Like if you put it in your pocket, it'll be like every other quarter. And you're like, wait, yeah, but why does that matter? He which takes you is. around the sun <laughs> and like, back wait, again. But if it is, then why can't you just kind of. And the stare. Leaves your head spinning. <laughs> I know if we, oh. we get really into the scene, but the way he's just looking at the gas station attendant, that's what sells it. And isn't he munching something in that scene? Is that the scene where he's. He's popping like little crackers peanuts. or something. something. Or peanuts. Yeah. So because he wads it up and throws it on the counter and it f swells in and he, his, there is no other way to put it. There's just the way it is. Oh, what a line. <laughs> so, you know, we got two anti-heroes living by a code and you almost have to view them as the heroes in these stories. Yes, they're horrible. They do horrible things, but plus 9-11 to me is what, what produces an environment where artists and film were okay with tackling these nihilistic themes. And I think nihilism has been tackled in theme, obviously, but to, to for it to be in these two mainstream movies, two Oscar-nominated films, one winning Best Picture, I mean, really groundbreaking stuff. And so today, when we talk about how we experience these films, my question to you is, if you're Llewellyn Moss, do you pick up that bag of cash and run? Drew, how did you experience these films? And if you're Llewellyn, do you grab that bag of cash? Uh, I experienced these both actually within the last year took a couple of rewatches to really let them kind of sink in on me I'm a processor by nature so it takes a few watches for me to really kind of grapple with the themes and what's going on but I think if there's one word that comes to mind like watching both of these films it's futility because both of them they're just kind of inviting you into the stories of just kind of existentialism like the, the, the vibe that I got watching both films was like nothing really matters like we're all just kind of like walking around on the planet it's a very dark kind of night nihilistic perspective on the world, really. But the thing that connects these two movies for me, outside of they were filmed in similar locations and they were they came out the same year and they were sh shot in similar areas, was that both films, the story doesn't really matter. Most of the time watching these films, I couldn't even tell what was happening, really. Like, I wasn't sure who was running from who or what was going on, but they were both just about the characters. And I think it's the most I've been invested in the character without being completely concerned with what's happening in the film itself. You know, there will be blood I think is just like it's like a parable on capitalism and religion and like how those things have always kind of been at odds with one another and yet they're strangely dance partners in a sense um, which I thought was very interesting and then No Country is just God, it's just an absolute clinic in cinematography the shots were so simple and yet so much was communicated like there was not a lot of editing there was not a, not a lot of shots it was just like close no up music. wide shot very few lines it was just it's, it was an absolute education on visual story 
storytelling. So that's what blew me away about that one. So I'm excited to talk about these. Mm -hmm. And if you're Llewellyn, what do you do? Hell no, I don't <laughs> grab the cash. Are you kidding me? Is it easy to say that in hindsight? Because we've met Anton Chigurh. He didn't know Anton Chigurh existed when he grabbed that cash. I don't know. I think the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh God, no. I mean, you have to grab the bag of cash because otherwise there's not really a movie, but no. I'll get to what these movies, how I experienced these movies after I talk about the cash thing. His mistake wasn't grabbing the bag of cash. It was going back to the scene of the crime after the fact mm. to give water to that dude in the car. You didn't take care of him while you, while you were there. You didn't pull him out and drag him or anything like that. Like your conscience wakes you up in the middle of the night, not because you took the cash, but because you think this guy might be there dying of uh, thirst or whatever. Had he not gone back to the scene, I don't know that anyone would have known who took the cash or where it was. It was because he went back to the scene and because he had his truck there and because he abandoned it that they figured out who he was. So Why did he go back? To, to give the, the, guy the guy in the truck water. Because he had the jug of water. Right. He did have yeah. the GPS device in the bag, though. They That's were... true, but it was, I don't know that it was a GPS, it was a proximity locator, so if he knew roughly where it was, it would beat. But, I mean, those things have a range, like his yeah. house, his trailer He could have gotten a head start away. on leaving versus going back to the same. Totally. Yeah. And they wouldn't have known where to start looking for him, because they, they pulled his address off the truck and were able to figure out where to start. So anyway. That's um, interesting. So does that make the character, is that an interesting layer to the character, or is that conflicting? Because dude's about to steal $2 million that doesn't obviously belong to him. It gives him but, a moral, an instant, uh, like, moral ambiguity to the character. It's like the difference between robbing and burglary. It's like, well, I'm yeah. a burglar. I'm just going to steal stuff. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Like, it feels yeah. like I'm going to take money that's not mine, but I also want to be benevolent and help this guy not die by bringing him water. Yeah. Yeah, so he's well weird. intentioned. Because no one, no one dies if you take the money, but someone dies if you don't bring him water. So it, it kind of drew these moral boundaries for uh, Lou Ellen's character, right. like, right off the bat. Um, but yeah, so. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting because there's, like, you got the villain in Bardem. Yeah. You got the hero in Tommy Lee. Yeah. And then you've kind of got this, like, anti-hero. If you recall, and I failed at this. I, I, for some reason, I was getting Trinity vibes, like, and not like the Holy Trinity, but I viewed the three characters as a Trinity because they push and pull off of each other. I, in the way I kind of, it's almost like a hot, medium, and cold. Like Anton Chigurh is the the enforcer of fate. He's death equivalent. You know, he's basically the sickle. Like he's death in a draped, you know, veil. And the way I view Llewellyn is almost like earthly, wandering axon, not good instincts, but kind of just axon the feeling of the moment. He's like he's like a representation of worldliness. You know, he sees the money, he takes the money. He's like an impulsive child. Yeah, well, he's just a dude who lives in a trailer. Yeah. I mean, he's just a guy, you know? I don't think he's anything more or less than that. And uh, I think that scene wasn't like a depiction of the fact that he's not anything more or less than that. Like he's a dude who in a weird strain comes across a strange situation, makes probably the not the best decision, and then makes another not so great decision by going back, even though, you know, his conscience wouldn't let him not. Anyway, do I take the money in the moment? I'd probably be afraid to because of all the bodies around and I would either just leave it and call the cops or something, but um, definitely wouldn't go back to the scene. After sure. the fact, no matter what was there, because it's like you happen upon a crime scene once and it's dangerous and and you leave and you get out of there unharmed. It's like, dude, you, you tested fate once. Don't go yeah. back for seconds. Um, so anyway, how I experienced these movies, I've I saw both of them a long time ago. Uh there will be blood when it first came out, and I didn't remember it at all. Like I've seen it, but it very remembered very little. So my first real experience of it was watching it for this podcast. Um, and man, what a film. Just I had forgotten how great it was. I knew it was a great movie and it just blew me away. It, both of these movies have really simple stories that aren't, once again, kind of like what we talked about with The Matrix and Inception. Like, the story in Inception is so simple that you forget what the story is because you're so focused on the science and the weirdness. That's kind of how it was with these. Like, the story's so simple that you just focus on the characters and forget about what's actually going on. And so the characters alone in both these movies sold it for me. And then No Country for Old Men I watched for the first time uh, right after my daughter was born because I had her a weekend alone with her for the first time. She's a little infant and she was asleep. <laughs> and I was like, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything because she's sleeping. I need to go find an incredible movie and watch it. And I watched No Country for Old Men and it blew me away. And then it blew me away even more watching it for this podcast, especially like juxtaposed against There Will Be Blood. So to me, this is a tougher matchup than Matrix versus Inception, even as far as philosophy goes, because that's science and, and there's some finite nature to it that you can back up with research. This is all moral ambiguity 
Davidian discussing the weirdness of humanity. And to me, that's far more complex. Yeah. So strap in for a three-hour podcast. Whoop, whoop. I wrote in my notes, if I could have, if we could do alternate titles for our podcast, this one would have been, you, you're only as good as the light that you're standing in at the moment. Yeah. That's really what moral ambiguity is. It's like you're good in certain lights, <laughs> and then when you're in a different light or a different shade, when you enter the gray zone, it's, you know, it's, there's no telling. The gray zone. By the way, that's a terrible movie to watch when you're holding your newborn daughter. Because you yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Would sit, that would be sitting there thinking like, oh my God, she was this is the world that I carrier. brought this kid into. Yeah. I, I already in. think about that. Yeah. <laughs> you were already there. Yeah, Phil I was, was already, already, already afraid of bringing a child into yeah. this world. And, you know, thus far I haven't been wrong. So, yeah. you know, ahead. for me, <laughs> these movies came out during a time where I was living very minimalistically. I was almost done with college. You know, I wasn't really, the only movie I think I had seen in theaters was Dark Knight. But I bought these movies because I didn't know exactly what they were about. I wasn't reading a lot of fiction at the time. I was reading a lot of nonfiction, which I read a lot of fiction now. I didn't know who Cormac McCarthy was as an author. I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't read a lot of Upton Sinclair, so I hadn't read Oil. But these had hit DVD by the time I got them, and I literally bought them because they were on the shelf at the same time. And the cover of There Will Be Blood, it was the special Steelbook edition, and it just spoke to me. It was like this faded, really cool Steelbook edition. Yes. It spoke to me. I was like, I don't know what that's about. Like, I had seen previews for both of the movies. I didn't have a laptop either. I had like a school laptop. I didn't really have internet. I didn't know what these movies were, but I bought them. Was the cover of that the him in the top hat? Kind of perching over, looking in the hole. Did okay. these movies yeah. drink your milkshake? They did. They drink all my milkshake. <laughs> I drink it I drink your milkshake. I am the third revelation. <laughs> but, uh, and they just blew my mind. I was now going into it. Here's, here's where I stood. I loved the Coens. I loved Raising Arizona. I loved Fargo. I loved everything. I, I loved Lady Killers with Tom Hanks. I loved everything I had seen by them. Paul Thomas Anderson, I was kind of either or on him. He's kind of an anti-Hollywood guy. He's a big, big picture guy. Magnolia, Boogie Nights. He only does epics. Uh, The Master, which is a good film. But I was kind of hit or miss on him. I'm like, sometimes this guy doesn't land the plane. And that was kind of my point of view of Paul Thomas Anderson. And I Agreed. think if you're gonna if you're gonna say he ever landed the plane, it was there will be blown. Oh but, God. I mean, how can you even debate that? So I think I think not knowing anything about these movies going into him was a good benefit of the doubt because I left so just and that's why I said it changed me. I didn't have any expectations. And then I saw some of the most brilliant filmmaking ever in both of these movies. And if I was Llewellyn Moss, well, first of all, I hate it outside. I wouldn't be hunting in the first place, especially with a rifle in the desert. So you'd never even be in that situation. Yeah. And I don't, it's funny. I watch all these really violent, bloody movies, but if I see a little bit of blood in person, I have, I vomit. I don't like blood. So if I would have seen one cartel guy with a little blood, I'd be like, oh, and I would have ran away. And so I wouldn't even got to the money. And I have if no Kyle's instincts. around, there will not be blood. There will not be. There won't be outside. There won't be any, con nothing. It's going to be a safe time. We're going to have a good time. Randos. Rub, 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 rando. This is pretty incredible. Heath Ledger was considered to be to play Llewellyn Moss. I can see that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that would have been good. I love the alternate actor thing because more often than not, I'm like, man, mm -hmm. I get that. That that would have worked. Yeah, and Brolin, they they had auditioned multiple people multiple times for this role, and he never thought he would get it. And when he finally got it, he broke his shoulder, I think, in a motorcycle accident right before the film started. So he lied to the Coens, even though it was a really bad break. He said it was it wasn't as bad as it was, just because he wanted to be in the film so bad. So all due respect to Heath. Ledger, phenomenal actor. He's almost too pretty. Yeah, agreed. Like even in the Joker, like he it was like not the not the movie the Joker, not the but like Joker. When he played Joker, he was obviously hideous and ugly, but there was still like this like almost weird sex appeal. Like he's yeah. still kind of like but Brolin sells the just like could be every man. Like he's kind of got mm -hmm. a paunch and like yeah, you know he looks good in a hat. He's, the mustache is incredible. I feel, I mean, mustache and is for some incredible. reason maybe I, I think Brolin feels like a little older. Is he older than Ledger? I guess it doesn't matter. But he seems he just I I'm glad they went with Brolin. No, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine any well. Heath Ledger, rest in peace, amazing actor, but Brolin was made for this role. And it totally, that's what, it turned me into a Brolin fan. I didn't really know anything of mm. Brolin. And now he's freaking Marvel. He's just doing all the good stuff. Brolin was rolling in the role he was put in. <laughs> and we'll get into this with Top Bill Cast, but Javier Bardem, just, I want to hug him. May I? Almost didn't do the movie because he wasn't comfortable with the violence. And if you ever listen to him talk, he's a very soft-spoken wow. guy. Very soft-spoken, very, you he's know. soft-spoken in the movie, too. Yeah. I mean, he's got a terrible 
terrifying voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he mean, told the Coens, his words were, I am the wrong actor, but he loved the Coens. He was actually obsessed with the Coens, and he was like, he wanted to be so bad, but he told them, even though I'm giant, I'm a giant fan of you. He also said, I don't speak great English. He said he was afraid of his English, because originally wow. Mark, Mark Strong was going to get the role. And Mark Strong, Hopefully they just showed him a bunch of Arnold movies and were like, this guy did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I wonder about that, like uh, to play that kind of role. I mean, I'm not an actor, so I don't know what what the psychology is behind getting into a character but to play to like to really climb into that character it seems like it'd be kind of a dark scary experience mm-hmm. to really sell it like because that's a he was a bad dude like bad. That's, a, mm-hmm. that's a scary motherfucker like man and man did he sell it so it, it was every scene was bone chilling like the way he delivered oh, his yeah. lines and and you said the word psychological and bone chilling so uh, a study was can't, I can't remember what university did that hold on I haven't noted a Belgian psychiatry professor at a university in Belgium did a study and of all the psychopaths ever depicted in film it said Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh was the most realistic psychological profile for a movie psychopath so the funny thing wow. about about this fact is I was watching uh, No Country for Old Men last night and about halfway through the movie texted Kyle and was like Javier Bardem's portrayal of Anton Chigurh is easily one one of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen and two absolutely terrifying from top to bottom then he shoots me this fact and I was like well yeah he did it man like that is just frightening and you gotta wonder if his squeamishness about violence how that played in I I love learning these things after the fact because when you learn he's squeamish about violence and guns and he's shy and somehow he accomplished this it's like wow yeah and last rando about this one the final scene with Tommy Lee Jones was done in one take it's almost word for word in the book so the book I I read the book for this the ending is almost same there's a couple of deviations from that speech but it's pretty much like 80% what was in the book Tommy Lee Jones did that speech in one take and that just blows my mind it's so intricate he's such a seasoned actor he was so dialed into that role I I mean can you what a perfect casting for that that character absolutely flawless they cast him because they wanted a native Texan and he's when he's not on screen he's very much a Texan and apparently he's got that soft te- West Texas demeanor and they wanted him for that reason because he he thought he didn't really know where with his age he just didn't feel like he fit in as much but they were like we just want you perfect again like Brolin and Javier no one else these three together my god yeah cheers cheers indeed and what a great screenplay like the the way they nailed the Texas tongue <laughs> if you yeah. will like I watch movies with subtitles on just because I feel like A, it helps me hear things that I miss. B, it helps me I want to appreciate the screenplay and see what words are actually being delivered and kind of in my head picture like what did the actor see on paper and then what did he spit out? That makes me appreciate the performance all the more. So just watching the words come across like man either Tommy took liberties and made it Texan or whoever wrote the screenplay. I guess it was the Cormac. Sure it was a combination of both. Well Cormac McCarthy wrote so that's why the book so the book is literally 80% on par with every word in the movie. Like when I was reading the book, I felt like I was reading the movie. Okay. Cormac well, McCarthy go. wrote it as a screenplay. Yeah, absolutely Amazing. brilliant. All right, randos for There Will Be Blood. One of the ways that Daniel Day-Lewis, so actually, so he's known as a method actor, probably the most, probably Me- the- Methody of yeah, method actors. Yeah, of method actors, which means- <laughs> Total for, Methodist. To- <laughs> yeah. So what that means for anyone who doesn't know what that means is he lives the role. So when the camera's not on, he's Daniel Plainview. When you're taking lunch break with the other actors, he's Daniel Plainview. So imagine sitting next to Daniel Plainview eating a hoagie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, like, it's like I'll take nachos. Is like you know whatever. I, you know I have a son named H W and he <laughs> loves nachos. He is he loves it more than he loves watching. I'll oil take a milkshake spraying yeah. out of the ground. Do you have any yeah. milkshakes that I can drink? <laughs> So if you recall, there was actually a weird fashion that came from this. Like, I remember watching this movie and then the Killers, when the Killers released a record around this time, they were wearing the same boots. Yeah, they would. Yeah, Fucking they were, sin. there was a weird, I knew a guy that was in fashion. He was like, this movie is actually like some of the stuff he wears. Wait, is that real? Yeah, like vests and co- collarless shirts. Like the, people, the, Because of this movie? Yeah, people wanted to dress like oh, and the oil insane. man. That's insane, I didn't know that. Because I yeah. wore, like in college, I wore vests. That's when boots got Kicked big. off the hipster movement, man. Not just boots, but like the a working boot type slender working boot if you that look at his boots so wild the hats were huge so Daniel Day-Lewis wore he he wore several hats and he said he would envision himself as Daniel Plainview in the hat and he's like and what they said was is when you see how sweaty the hats are 
and like the sweat rings on the hats, they're real. Cause he actually, before the film was made, he wore those hats all day, every day. And he picked three that he felt were the most accurate. And so he would just wear that hat and just imagine himself creating Daniel Plainview's universe. You gotta love the attention to detail by those guys. Yeah. Because the funny thing is, had he just picked a hat off the rack before the scene, likely no one would have noticed. But man, he knew, he knew that that hat was Daniel Plainview's hat. Yeah. Whether or not mm. we did or care, you know? And maybe that helped him as an actor get the get the scene across and yeah. whenever he put it on. Because there are a lot of times uh, I've read different interviews or seen different interviews with different actors. It's like, at what point do you become that actor? And everybody has their trigger for when they're no longer who they are and they transition to that actor mode. And sometimes it's like a pair of sunglasses or an accent or a shirt or something like that. And who knows, maybe those hats were like, all right, it's yeah. on. And if you ever listen to him talk, he is a, we'll get this more in casting, but he is an artist. Like, you hear him talk. He's one of those guys that, like, can't really, in my opinion, like, he doesn't really formulate a lot of thoughts off screen because he's so creative, which I respect I and I relate to as a creative. I'm not saying I'm as creative, obviously, but as a creative, yes, I can you relate to him. That. When he's not on screen, he kind of fumbles. He's a, what does he do? Oh, he's a cobbler. Did you know this? He's a cobbler. He's a shoe cobbler in Ireland oh, and Italy. I was going to say, I, I want to yeah, try, try his pies, man. What the fuck? I know. Yeah, I know, right? Bring me a pie, on. Daniel Pieview, motherfucker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, if he's in character all the time on set. Gotta have some kind of hobby. Well, that's not where I was going with that, but yeah. I know, but I want... I, he's, <laughs> he's just the kind of actor that he comes out of his hiding like every four years yep. to do a role, win an Oscar, and then go back to cobbling shoes. Like, mm -hmm. what a guy. He puts everything he has. Doesn't talk to his family, and if they do, it's like, it's like how's the movie going? And it's like, I drink your milkshake. It's like, okay, I'll see you in three years. That's, okay. I, that's really beautiful because he could, if it were about the accolades or the awards he could be piling it up you know he could be releasing three movies a year if it were about the movies he could be playing some villain in a marvel movie or you know like he, it's not about or i'm sorry if it were about the money he could be taking these big like blockbuster roles it's clearly about the art for him yeah and the know, shoes and, and the shoes and of course you know the, the shoes marvelous we'll get to that more on top bill paul and eli sunday and and so drew you texted me about this this is a big point of confusion when you like tackle reddit and stuff paul and eli sunday were not supposed to be twins paul dana was not supposed to play both of them. I think Kel O'Neill was the original actor, and that's not an actor I'm really familiar with, was supposed to play Paul Sunday, who originally approached Daniel Plainview about Little Boston. Paul Thomas Anderson hated him, and this part's not confirmed. People have said this is true, and people have said this is false, but very intimidated by Daniel Day-Lewis, as was Paul Dano. I just think Paul Dano's an amazing actor, so he handled it, but Paul Thomas Anderson saw that he couldn't handle it with Daniel Day-Lewis, didn't like him, so they instead said, how about Paul just, how about these guys are twins? So that was like a last-minute change because mm. of that. Very interesting. Okay. Okay, so was anybody else completely lost by the whole twin dynamic? I, I that hit me yes. like I think they mention it later, like several scenes later in the film, and I was like, oh. That was his brother. I, I thought because when he introduced himself on the beach, like they shook hands like they had never met, and I was like, "What?" They just talked. I yeah. thought he was just meeting well, up with them. I, but they were brothers. Confusing. I was tracking with it, but my thought was, "Is this the same person?" And he's pawning himself off as his own twin, kind of thing, like where he's—that's uh, okay. what I thought too. You know, Paul. You meet Paul because he tells him about where the uh, where the oil is, and then he's like, "I live on a farm with my sisters and my brother Eli." And then he shows up, and conveniently, there's a guy that looks identical to him who's. Saying he's Eli. And so I was like, oh, this dude is just fucking with him. Like, yeah. he's pretending to be his own twin and acting like he doesn't know. And because they're never on scene at the, you know, on set at the same time together, like, I'm still right. not 100% convinced that that wasn't left to be kind of ambiguous right. on purpose because they're never together in the same scene. So how do we ever really know that he's not just some, Right. You know, and I didn't catch that his name was Eli in the first scene. And then when Daniel Day's character asked him to stay, he said, no, I want to go home. Like, he was really weird about going home. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, you got it, dude. You like yeah, your own bed. Right, you whatever. like your house. All right. So to enforce so that. So he went home. We were all to presume that he went home. Yeah, he got but, out ahead of you. But got then out he wasn't there when Daniel he went. That, it was just, that was yeah. confusing. Well, to enforce it, though, in order for that theory to be true, and I'm not I'm not trying to like debunk you, but at the end, it's very painful when the way he's rubbing it in Eli's face is that Paul has three wells that are producing at 5,000 a week of his own. So he's becoming a oil. But how do we too. know he's I don't being think honest. they did a very good job setting that up. Yeah. I don't, it's I didn't, true. I didn't really buy, like maybe just a, maybe a, 
scene where Daniel Day was corresponding with him about drilling oil. Like just something mm. to all of a sudden at the end of the movie is like, oh, he did yeah, they like oil. Like, it, it was in. just yeah. like, wait, what? And when is that a like a good way to solve an acting thing? Like an actor's not working out. It's like, okay, Paul's gonna play him too. Like you're not just gonna start like I don't like him. Paul, you're gonna play him too. Like now he's up to three roles. You know, it's like, is that a good solution? Is like whoever's closest to you. No, you play him. It's very confusing. Shall we war, gentlemen? That what that what let's two masterpieces. Blow shit up. <laughs> Launch this oil is, into the sky. There's no war for old men. <laughs> there will be war. <laughs> this is like two tectonic plates rubbing together in my mind. I have so much admiration for these films. All right, let's start where we always start. I always want to mix it up, but it feels like a natural place for us to start. Best top bill cast. We're going to do it different, though. Phil, you start us off. Um, No country for old men. I know it's blasphemous to say that Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't just, you know, roll his hat onto the field and win the game. <laughs> Uh, just for existing. Mm -hmm. But man, I'm not going to lie. I thought the execution of the entire top bill cast in There Will Be Blood was just better. I think their roles were more convincing. You I mean think, in No Country for Old Men? Sure. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Okay, in sorry. No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I think the portrayals of the characters in No Country for Old Men was superior from top to bottom. And the movie, they're both incredible movies. They really are. But I felt like on top of having an incredible story, No Country for Old Men just nailed the acting the feel, the pacing, everything. There Will Be Blood was amazing, but it had some flaws like what we already talked about with the the bizarre, ambiguous situation with the twin brothers and the like lobbing in story arcs after the fact that we're just supposed to accept because Daniel Day-Lewis is saying it. And I mean, you know, string me up and shoot me or whatever, but like Daniel Day-Lewis's performance was great, but man, I, I'd take Javier Bardem over him a hundred times out of a hundred in similar movies movies because Daniel Day-Lewis, it felt like a great actor acting, whereas every single person in No Country for Old Men felt like the you were just watching a film of those real people existing in that world. So that to me was the difference. Like if you could give an example to either one, No Country for Old Men felt like an incredible movie or depiction of that period. And then There Will Be Blood felt like in a stage play put in a film because you could feel the acting. Doesn't take away from either one, but top bill cast as far as execution goes, There Will Be, or No Country for Old Men. Easy. Well, said. I knew I would get these movies confused constantly. <clears throat> yeah, because visually they're like the same. The desert sand. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Anywho, uh, to me, mm. there will be blood versus no country for old men. The the top bill cast. This is Steph Curry's Warriors against LeBron's Cavs. Oh, good point. I, I yes. think you've got like Daniel Day is LeBron, but I think the trifecta on the other side with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Durant just overtakes LeBron. You're saying I mean, this way better than I meant to say this. You're saying it way better. LeBron's got Kyrie. <laughs> You know, like yeah. Paul Dano is no slouch. I mean, dude hold, held his own. Like if we're talking is, I don't know. I, I'm always confused by this question. Like if, if that's supporting or. No, Paul Dano is top bill. Okay. And I would assume top bill in no country is Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, and uh, Correct. Tommy I don't Jones. even think Woody Harrelson would be considered top bill. Yeah, I just no think country. there's just not. I think that Daniel Day is in every scene. Is, it, is he? There's a I couple mean, of scenes where he's not. Like where uh, where HW is trying to get his hearing back and the only other person in the scene is the girl. What's her name? Okay. Okay. His okay. future wife. It's very minute. You're probably 98% of the scenes. It just seems like it was, it's an acting. It was a Daniel Day showcase. Yeah. It's an incredible feat what he was able to pull off. But to me, yeah, I, I think that the trifecta overtakes. And we're seeing, we're seeing big differences in direction here. And I'll really get into this more in, in the supporting cast. Cause I'm really passionate about this particular set of supporting cast. Members, we'll get but to that. Yes. We haven't yes. said it yet. You said showcase. That's how I feel. The reason. So one of the, and I had this as a rando, but I saved it for this. Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to work with Daniel Day-Lewis, huge admirer, and vice versa. Daniel Day-Lewis was an admirer of Paul Thomas Anderson. And it kind of feels like Daniel Plainview is the result of almost a pornographic view of Daniel Day-Lewis. It's almost like it's the Daniel Day-Lewis show, and it's it's awesome, but it's a lot. And again, I don't want to spoil my supporting cast notes, but it is so much of a showcase, and really what we see the Coens do so well and how they direct actors is there's a subtlety to everyone, even the most violent, psychopathic killer depicted, you know, in, in, a, in a movie, one of them, that's not a horror movie, so to speak, is still subdued. You know what I mean? It's the lack of, maybe it's the lack of music, but you're kind of like left to face these characters. Whereas Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview is just constant and in your face. And it's such a, again, incredible. No one else can do what DDL does, but maybe it's direction, it's writing, but this is, to me, is an easy win for No Country for Old Men. No disrespect to the amazing Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day-Lewis. I love you. That's why you're in this podcast, but I wanted to say I'll that. disrespect you. 
You fuck you. Ooh, here's a, a surprise work hard category. Best middle name, Lee or Day. <laughs> <laughs> is this middle name Day? What are, what's happening here? Daniel no, his Day? first name is Daniel Day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Day Lewis. What day is it? Every day. His last name is Daniel Day, Lewis. Day. I love this category because we do have a category: best pretentious long title of a movie. Okay, so best pretentious name. Lee is more vital. It plays because there's so many Tommy Joneses. I mean, Tommy Jones, and he was born in what the 40s. But how many Daniel Lewises are there? I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't I mean, say as many as Tom Jones. Common-ish. Yeah. Yeah. But so, why Day? Was that like his mom's I, name? I mean, like, there's. I want to know the story. Yeah, somebody on Reddit, help us out. Uh, tell us how stupid we Drop are. Drop in the comments. Be really disrespectful and tell us how much you know, because that's what you fuckers on Reddit do. What, so. What's funny is none of our fans have done that. They only make fun of my videos and tell me that I'm I'm stupid for. By posting. the way, shout out to our Facebook group. We I love was you. Just perusing the comments and interaction the other day, unbelievable. 142 so for our listeners. In one month, we have 142 people co- posting their own content. We love you guys. That's and that's cool. not a plug for a subscriber group that you have to pay for. That's it's just a free group. If you're listening, go check it out. Freeze book right, group. Back to the work. Hard. Love it. All right, Drew, kick us off. Best supporting cast. I'm going to give a shout out to HW. I think he's a phenomenal actor for a kid. First film ever for him. Wow. Never acted before this. I think he did a really beautiful job. He had to play a deaf boy. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, in a scene with Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm trying to re- like figure out, is it easier to act as a child with Daniel Day or is it more difficult? Well, ask his mother. His mother said she almost didn't let him be in the movie because she was scared of what it would be like. She thought his her son would be terrified to act across from Daniel Day-Lewis, so it almost mm. didn't even happen. I'm going to go There Will Be Blood just because mm. I think he was brilliant. And the I don't know the name of the guy, but the sheriff that played opposite of Tommy Lee Jones in several scenes was just not Wendell? good. You didn't like Wendell? I did not like Wendell. No offense. Mm. I, I love I Wendell. Just, I wasn't like, a fan. Oh, yeah. The when he was talking guy. about the milk. I agree. Oh, no, Sheriff. And like, yeah. we got to call it in. There's, we just missed him. Fresh. It felt he was like, like he was comedic. He was like comedic relief that didn't land. Yeah. I didn't. I guess I just I didn't understand his role. He is a Coen Brothers character, though. That was, is every Coen Brothers movie has that auspicious, quasi-boisterous minor character. Hmm. Okay, that's yeah. good insight. I'm gonna go there. Will be blood. Okay, I think the chat, the kid was incredible. I love that you focused on that. I, I for some reason I didn't think about HW, but when you said that, the scene where he's snapping his fingers, mm-hmm. or, or no, he's oh, humming. Man, when they're both covered in oil, yeah. and Daniel Day Lewis is hugging him, and, and Daniel Day Lewis is just like so I'm, over him, humming. Mm-hmm. Time that's to enough. stop. That's now. enough. And that's he's enough. trying to hear himself. That conveyed a very dark feeling to me. I was like, yes. this is a, a young boy. And when he was saying, I can't hear my voice. I can't hear my voice. He doesn't know I, he's an I orphan. I believed that. He doesn't even know at this point that he's adopted. Like, there's so much in that scene happening. I like I like that point you made, uh, Phil. There will be blood, easy, because the kid. And all the people around, I think they did a really outstanding job just making that entire movie feel mm-hmm. alive. Um, even the dad uh, in that film, the the old guy who owned uh, Mr. Sunday, whatever his name mm-hmm. was, he did a great job of just playing a resigned, weak old man who... Yes. Everyone... He'd given up. Yeah, every, like, secondary background character in that movie was great. The the little blonde girl was great. The guy who played older HW was great. Uh, I mean, the translator, all that. It was just... Abel Sunday. Speaking of Paul Dano and Abel, how horrifying was that scene? Do you think God will save you because you're stupid? Oh, my oh God. My and gosh. just talking to his own dad yeah. and the way Abel conveyed that was you very... stupid son, Paul! Do you think God saves stupid people? I yeah. was like, jeez Louise. That was, that was outstanding. There was a lot of hard scenes to watch. Very hard. Here's the thing. We're, we're comparing two incredible films. I actually went no country here. And although from a category perspective, it doesn't matter, but I'm very passionate about this because I just want to give as fans a big cadence to what the Coen brothers do. No one develops minor characters like the Coen brothers. Aside from all the great things we've already discussed about no country with Javier Bardem, Brolin, the writing. I've seen this movie maybe 60 something times. I've read the book. How do you do that? Dude, when I find a movie I love, I rewatch it. I, I like plan to rewatch them. I love rewatching mo- these great so films. So many times. I've, you don't want to know how I don't many know times if I've seen, seen Robocop. 60 movies. Dude. I shouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've seen right. I've seen Robocop an unhealthy amount of times. You don't even want to know. I look forward to these minor characters. Character one, the guy that sells the tent poles and the boots to Llewellyn. When he says, I know he only has like two lines, but when he says, do you have usually have people <gasps> come in here without their clothes on? And he goes, no, sir. 
sir. It's unusual. I love that guy. I forgot about those characters. The lady dude. that the lady at the hotel. The, no, the trailer we park. We can't give that kind of information. Do you not hear me? That is a Cohen Brothers thing. When you watch Fargo, Raising Arizona, it's all about those minor characters. Mm. And this is a very specific situation. And I plan this diatribe for this character. I know we're early, but I love this is one of my favorite things about the Coens, who I love. And I've seen Paul Thomas Anderson develop minor characters in Magnolia. Now, granted, almost every film he has, he's working with 20 stars, like Paul Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tom Cruise. Like he only has like people are playing third bill that are usually first bill and everything else. But I've seen him do well with that, especially Boogie Nights, um, like William H. Macy, the way he developed that. But for some reason, again, it's kind of the opposite side of the problem with Daniel Day-Lewis being so prevalent is that it almost feels like a lot of the scenes, the supporting cast is just kind of there. You said it a little bit, kind of just supporting Daniel Day-Lewis, kind of just like, all right, what can we do to support? Yeah, we're just there to not get in the way. Where's the Coens? And maybe because, maybe it's direction because Javier Bardem, Anton Chigurh, even though he's a massive psychopath, he's very subtle. These minor characters are funny. The lady at the hotel that manages the hotel, she's like talking about the size of the bed, like, you want another room? Why don't you just get the one right next to it? Right. They just develop these minor characters and I, I think it's what they do well and it's the reason they make unique films. Burn After Reading has this. They're not throwaways. No. Which in a lot of other movies, those characters wouldn't matter. Right. These are on, they're on the screen for 30 seconds. Side note, I love that scene. I think it's the scene in the hotel <clears throat> where he wants to kill her. You, you know he's like, but he hears somebody coughing and you yes. can see like him working it out in his head like, no, it's not worth it. Where does he I work? could take her out, but then somebody might hear something and then I have to like take them out uh -huh. and might, that might get cut. Like you could see him like just in that mm. expression, he glanced, he glanced back and he turned around and mm -hmm. walked away. That was brilliant. Where does he work? And his stare just gets colder. He's not moving his face, but somehow his stare just gets darker. Where and does he work? Another, two more examples. I don't want to, I just, I just want to demonstrate to the fans how amazing the Coens are at this. Because I remember these, these minor actors, the uh, border patrol officer. You mm. know who gets into this country? That was memorable. Yes. He was really good. The drunk kids that he buys the coat off of. He's like, Dude, let him we, hold the money. Give him the beer, man. I yeah. remember yeah. those. Yes. Who are those kids? No one knows, but I remember, that's just the Coens. I love what they do with that. Well, anyway, the kids at the end. He's like, well, sir, I'll give you my shirt. Like, you can yeah. have my shirt. Look at that fucking bone. Real quick, that scene at the end when he's like, the kid, it's so quick. The way, it, it, the, the shift in the kid, where it starts where he wants to give him the shirt. He's a young, innocent, benevolent kid. He wants to help out. And then when he walks away, his friend was like, hey, half that money's mine. He's like, yeah, I'm out of shirt. Yeah. Oh, you you still, still got your shirt. Your shirt. Yeah. It's almost like it planted the seed of like survivalism, like eat or be eaten. Like you just saw that transition from like a baby to a grown up almost. And that was weird. a point, and I didn't get into this, but I wrote this down about the nature of antiheroes because it turned into another philosophical thing that we didn't need. But antiheroes change the environment around them for the worst to accomplish their means. If you think about Walter White, the things he does to accomplish his means, it's in some ways it benefits people for the most part, it destroys everything around him. I love your point because at that moment, it's like, you don't see me. Like he says that to him. I love that, by the way, the way Javier does that. And then like you said, all of a sudden it's like, you still got your damn shirt. Like all of a sudden they're like, like you said, eat or be eaten. Were you going to say something, Phil? Nope. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I know that nope. su supporting cast turned into a 10 minute Kyle moment, but I love what the Coens do with minor characters. It's hard to stay on the rails here. It's I'm just, finding it. The more we talk about these movies, the more I want to talk about these movies. These movies yeah, are man. multiple steak dinners laid out in front of you. It's like we're yeah. try the New York Strip, try the filet, try yep. the porterhouse, try the fucking ribeye. Yeah. You know, we're just trying right. them all. It's Bouncing like you kind of need to work hard sometimes to get through some movies. It's a nice structure, but other yeah. movies you're like, let's just talk about them. Let's yeah, just everything can't them. be dumb and dumber. I'm just glad to hear what you guys you guys saying some of the things I say. I you know, hate most of these movies. Fuck these movies. <laughs> Phil, ladies and gentlemen, um, I love this. The, all right, first bro category, best pretentious long title. Now, it's uh, worth saying that the original title for There Will Be Blood, the book, was Oil with an explanation point by Upton Sinclair. So they made that title for the book. Can I be honest with you guys? I still have no idea what either of these titles mean or why they're called that. No Country for All Men is from a poem. Great. That's and also so it's, up its own ass. I think... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, th I, I was watching both of these trying to derive where the titles came from. And for me, No Country for 
old men made a lot more sense than there will be blood. Um, well, I mean, they, you know, they both make sense. Um, no Country for Old Men to me meant that it was if you were old, you couldn't survive in that world. And it mm. was just because he's trying to retire that whole time. And he yeah, goes and, and like that old man, everything moved faster than these guys could keep up with. Everything was was tougher than them and all this stuff. And then there will be blood. It was like there wasn't that much blood. No. Well, on the, the path of getting oil out of the ground, there was just bodies. Every oil drill, someone died, you know? Right. Like, so every That's time true. they struck a new that. well, someone, I mean, there, it was, I was watching this movie and after like the third or fourth dude died at an oil well, I was like, oh, this is where fucking OSHA came from. Like these mm. guys, like there were no guardrails for any of these people, like drilling people an dropping oil shit well. down wells left and right. Just yeah. Like somebody not paying attention, swings a, a rod, it falls through and kills the guy mm. at the bottom of the oil well. HW's like, biological father died. Yeah. yeah. Everybody gets smashed by stuff at these rigs. Like no matter how big or small, no matter how advanced they get, like the path to development in, in America becoming, uh, you know, energy independent or whatever, which we're still not, was paved with blood. So wow, to me, just, that's where that all came from. You just said something so profound that I never picked up on. Well, about, and to take it, I'm sorry. Just to say that it was built on the blood and sweat, that you just totally made a point that I had never thought of. Yeah, I don't Kudos. know if that's where it came from, but that's, I mean, to me with, like you guys do far more research than I do, um, but I'm watching these these movies because they do have massive up their ass titles. Um, but There Will Be Blood <laughs> to me was was uh, very much about massive. <laughs> so you give this to There Will Be Blood. Yeah, it was. Okay. It's a far douchier title than No Country for Old Men. Whatever that means. That's just personal. And douchier opinion. wins here. So douchier yeah, yeah, I mean, good. Yeah, they. Okay. And plus, it's Daniel Day Lewis. Like, like you said, he comes out of hiding every few years to make a movie and goes back again. I feel like that just adds to the mystique, and he gets a free pass. Phantom Thread. You know, you just oh, okay. Daniel Day Lewis. It's going to be a great film. Like nobody even questions it. So Drew, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say again. Like this is a parable about capitalism and religion and so and I think both it, it shows that both capitalism and religion when not done right when taken to the extreme leads to destruction and so I think the title there will be blood at least that makes sense so I guess I give the the category to no country for old men because I don't I still don't it's from a poem like eh. you got to pull hard on that I also give it to no country for old men and uh, sailing to Byzantium by William but Butler Yeats there is no country for old men the young in one another's arms, birds in the trees, those dying generations at their song. That's the poem that Cormac McCarthy pulled it from. Yeah. Mm. And also, I, any true fan calls this movie No Country. Yeah. So, yeah. there you go. Yeah, it was really funny texting about our plan for this podcast because it was like, do I really have to text the title? And then even thinking of the acronym for them was even harder. It's like, no. <laughs> N-C-F-O-M. N-C-F-N. What? No. T-W-B-B. That was quick. Look at you. Well, uh, Phil is Everything genius. in my mind this is This is called No Country vs. Blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Blood that, country for old country man. Good convo. I didn't even expect that to go with that route, but Phil brought that philosophical gravitas there. Philosophical. It's you know, my name for a reason. So usually we go music, but this is interesting. It's And I do want to clarify. There is a subtle pad, keyboard pad in No Country at two different points in the movie that I could hear. It's when he first does the cow thing and kills the guy and takes his car and towards the middle somewhere. There are... But for purpose of this, there is no music versus the insane, <laughs> there will be no amazing, music. crazy orchestral piece done by one another of my heroes, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, which I love, did the composition for There Will Be Blood. Phil, why don't you kick us off here? No Country, or uh, There Will Be Blood's score, I feel like was more profound than uh, No Country for Old Men's lack of score. That was a real, like every musical piece in uh, There Will Be Blood, I felt like flawlessly depicted depicted what was going on on the screen but in musical form like there was yes like every it felt like every expression on anyone's face was perfectly orchestrated with the song or the, the music playing in the background um i actually respect the hell out of movies that do no music i think the birds was another one um good point and that movie had literally no music i saw that a ton of years ago so i may be wrong but um yeah i mean i love when somebody can pull off a film with no music because then you are leaning on the storytelling the pacing the cinematography you know, on and on. But uh, I still feel like There Will Be Blood's score outshined uh, No Country's lack of score. You know what instantly comes to also, mind is the piece after he beats Eli to death with the bowling pin. Do, 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 I'm finished. Do, yeah. do, 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 do. It's just like, that was amazing. It was like, fine. You know? Yeah. 
Hmm. True. That's well said. I totally agree. I think there will be blood every scene. Every time I notice there was music, and I think there's three different times, where I'm like, the, it's spot on, exactly captures the emotion that the scene is trying to articulate. Just absolutely nailed it. So I'm going to go There Will Be Blood. However, I don't think it's a knock on No Country for Old Men because I think there is a desolate, futile sense of just existentialism in No Country where I think that the lack of lines, the lack of music, the desert landscape, like everything just feels very dry, very subtle. Everything is just minimal, minimal, Mm -hmm. minimal. And so I I don't think that that's a bad thing. But if we're talking about the best music, you almost have to say There Will Be Blood. Neither of these choices were wrong and they yeah. didn't yes, neither right, of them took right. away from it and right. in fact both in my opinion added significantly to the movie the either the music or the lack of music mm-hmm. but yeah it truly is a case study and and i i went no country on this but like i said when i found out that my hero johnny greenwood who had composed this not only that he was the actual composer for the bbc orchestra at this time so he went from playing guitar for radiohead to doing classical compositions but next time you guys rewatch this try this and i'm not trying to influence you but imagine the coin scene at the gas station with music imagine the scene in the hospital with Woody Harrelson talking to Josh Brolin about Anton Chigurh with music. Oh, we're not saying it was a bad choice. I'm just saying in the wrong hands, like, could Michael Bay do a movie without music? Could... Yeah, just more boobs. It is an art art form. (laughs) More boobs, more cars, or an explosion. Well, that scene when he's munching and, like, the the guy's telling him about when he's closing up and everything, you you are on the edge of your seat. And there's no music to save you. Yes! That's the thing. There's no buffer there's nothing you're now just like not a time what time just kind of cringing making making uncomfortable expressions the entire scene what and time do you go one of the bed? few times that javier expresses himself with a facial expression he goes you married into it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that little crook in his smile was like, whoa, that was huge. But again, you can't go wrong here. But I think I think if you add music or put no music in the wrong hands, no country for old men is not no country for old men. But No music for old men. No. Oh, shit. But Because you're deaf. <laughs> you're all right. Motherfucker. I'm gonna sk- and that was the bourbon curve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are at the bourbon curve, ladies the and curve gentlemen. Do, 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 do. <laughs> this is where we should play There Will Be Blood, the ending theme in the, in the podcast. Free, 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 I'm finished. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> I know. I'm Liddy. I'm going to Liddy. Lord have mercy. I'm going to save that one as the tiebreaker. Can you say Liddy in a podcast about there will be blood and no country? That w- there will I be. I just did. No Liddy for. Hey, we're men. breaking new barriers here. Yeah, we're breaking breaking down new barriers. Yeah. All right, this is kind of a fun category, but not as obvious as you think. Think of it in the context context of film. <laughs> context. <laughs> The Someone's horny. Me. Kyle is drunk and horny. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even had that much. The bowling pin <laughs> versus the silenced shotgun. Drew, why don't you start us off? Ooh, why did you have to ask that because question? Because it's awesome. <laughs> God, Hedy, that's like, once again, we say this in every episode. It's like choosing your favorite child. God. Can we just talk about the tank? What what was that? Oh, that was what they used to use to kill cows and oh, livestock before it was they a, slaughtered. Yeah, it was a... They talk about there's it There's a movie. bolt that comes out of that thing. Remember when he says there's no bullet or exit wound? He's like, now, Wendell? It's a pneumatic... Right, I caught that part. I knew they were referring to the tank and whatever, but what is that thing It's a pneumatic for? animal killer. Like, you okay. use it to to slaughter yeah. livestock without, like, causing the adrenaline rush they used to into use their a system. hammer. Have you seen Texas Chainsaw? So they used to use a hammer, but the thing is, is that sometimes... And he, actually, he talks about it with the guy Ellis in the wheelchair about someone or he the way he lost all the feeling in his arm was from a piece of livestock and i think they did that on purpose to tie it together yeah when they used to use a hammer and he didn't kill it the first time it would kick you and that's why he can't feel anything in one of his arms got it I'm i don't go, know why uh, cormac mccarthy did it but brilliant we're talking about the shotgun i guess i guess you could add that i mean if you want to talk about full-on weapons i mean that's pretty badass well look i mean a silenced shotgun is the, that's been done uh, and maybe bludgeoning someone with a bowling pin has also been done i just just haven't seen it. So to me, that's a more novel idea and more gruesome. Bludgeoning someone on a bowling lane with a bowling pin. That was that rough. Is- <laughs> Your arch enemy. Woo. That's that was hard to watch. You have to look at Eli and Plainview as lifelong enemies. They're almost like two mm-hmm. forces of nature. Like they're almost like superheroes. One of them was gonna kill one of yeah. them. Yeah, and he yeah. did it with a bowling. And the way Daniel Plainview looks when he remember when one's on the other side of the bowling alley and Plainview's on the other and they're running, but they're like always on the opposite end. And like the way Plainview runs, it totally looks like a twenties barbershop piano player run. Right. Yeah. 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 So you're going. I'm going. There will be blood. Going no so. country with the shotgun. Ch- 
just because of the sound it makes. A silenced weapon isn't unique, but man, yeah. they made uh, that sound is, is by cool. the time you're like halfway through the movie and you hear that sound, you're, it just did something to me. I, I love the way that thing sounds. And so I go shotgun. This was a tough category. I almost went There Will Be Blood because I didn't expect it. Like, I don't know if you guys, the first time you watched this, I just, I didn't think it was going to end with him beating him to death. Like that was not even remotely in my mind. So when it happened, it was very shocking. And I think they using the wooden bowling pin, you know, and it's kind of the capitalism thing. It was a bowling pin in his bowling alley and his mansion from all the wealthy it accumulated. I mean, it was very symbolic. Mm. But you talk about the, the sound, that subtle, but remember when he breaks into the hotel room and shoots the cartel guy in the bed and it makes that small sound, but the guy flies into the wall. Yeah. That was awesome. But one more thing about Shigur, when he's carrying the tank and the shotgun, but he takes his shoes off because he's aware that he doesn't want to make sound. Even though that's not the weapon, he's fixing to use the weapon, his awareness as an assassin. Oh, I loved the detail around. And they're playing when he pulls the shower curtain just because he doesn't want to get blood on his face. And he's so... <laughs> And he, yeah. he he pulls the trigger but doesn't make a face. Yep. And blood just goes everywhere. So I give it to No Country, but both great utilizations of weaponry here. We're halfway through right now. It's No Country 4. There will be blood too. All right. This is So I got to frame this up a little bit. This isn't me saying what you think the best film is, but put your Oscar eyes on. Put your Oscar ears on. Which in your mind is the best, best picture? Because it was so close. They were both nominated for immense amount of awards. Which one? I mean, did, was the right choice made for an Oscar Academy no best country. One, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with that choice. Mm -hmm. I think it was the, because here's the thing, like I love me a good ultra artistic, slow paced, real dive into like the nitty gritty of the characters and the, and their dialogue and the writing. And I loved that about There Will Be Blood. But when you sit down to watch a movie or do anything that is, is not necessary, which movies aren't, you know, they're not necessary. They're, they're in a, a whoa, an enjoyment whoa, factor whoa. in our lives. This is a movie podcast. Yeah. Nothing about this podcast is necessary. Turn <laughs> no, it off now. Whoa. Go spend time with your family. What the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Listen, to us. Are you in the car we right are now? nobody listen, listen to a self-help book Go listen yeah. to don't listen to us we don't know what the fuck we're talking about um <laughs> anyway i think no country for old men it was more entertaining of the two films the one i'd want to sit down and watch again if i had to choose one would be no country for old men and it's not necessarily because it's like you know the the better artistic endeavor it's just more entertaining it's more interesting the characters are more yeah. interesting like once again uh there will be blood is the daniel day lewis show which is fine it serves a purpose it's a fantastic just there's an Oscar for that yeah there's called yeah, best actor there's a showcase for the script for the script and the acting but man no country all day long which Daniel won yeah the first time I sat down to watch these movies I thought hmm no country for old men is the better movie Daniel day Lewis is the better performance and that's exactly how it was rewarded mm -hmm. or awarded yeah I go yeah I go no, no country. country yeah I go I go no country we just get such a complete film and it's a clinic I mean the Coens the lack of music these intentional choices to me the defining factor is the gift we got in Javier Bardem, a complete unknown in the American films. I mean, he was a Spanish actor, well-known there, but not known as an American actor. Just a gift. And this checks every box, not just for me, but when you look at the completeness of a film, top to bottom, and it, it, for some reason, I don't know if you guys agree, it borders almost pretentious, but they use humor to cut it. It's like the humor that they use in No Country keeps it from getting into overzealous, pretentious artistry. I mean, he's using a fucking silenced shotgun. I know. That right there is like... Yeah, but there are moments, brute force. and mostly Javier Bardem, where with a coin and his his spiels, it's kind of what Anne, Ayn Rand does, right, in her book. Like, you get this great piece of fiction, but then she goes on these philosophical rants and Atlas Shrug, and it almost ruins the book. Yeah, her Ayn Rand. That's a great point, Kyle, that you raise about how they cut it with humor, because mm -hmm. that's every time things feel like they get a little bit too... Too serious enters a side character, or yeah. even like the Brolin when he's when he's talking to his wife, I mm -hmm. guess. Are yeah, they, Carly, yeah, they're Carly Jean, Carly Jean. You know about taking her in the back bedroom and screwing her, or you know, like she's like, I got a bad feeling about this. She's like, well, I got a good one, so that levels out. Yeah, you know, like just the, there's little moments when it just kind of cuts the tension with just levity. Little, yes, levity. Yeah. yeah, and again, that's just what the Coen brothers do. But yeah, they made the right choice. But again, I mean, good lord, to to have these both of these movies in the same year both nominated is insane. All right, so we are at No Country 6, 2 for uh, Blood. Very important category, best mustache. We got two epic mustaches here, don't we? Mustache. I'm, I'm going to start us off. I got to go Brolin. I mean, it's a beautiful mustache that Daniel Plainview has, but for some reason, I feel like without a mustache, Llewellyn is not Llewellyn. It's a Texas mustache. It's almost like if t the state of Texas had a mustache, it would be that mustache. A textache. Yeah. Yes. Phil, what do you think? I'm rolling with Brolin. That's yep. all I'm going to say. <laughs> Beautiful mustache. Uh, Drew. 
For some reason, I think I can't picture Plainview without a mustache. True. I can picture Brolin. I feel like I, I think the mustache brings greater value to Plainview. And so it's not. more manicured, don't you think? Yes. Shapely. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a man with money and power keeping his mustache as opposed to Brolin, who's just some dumb schmuck who stumbled onto $2 million. Be careful with my boy Llewellyn. Okay. Also, can we talk about what kind of name Llewellyn is? It's awesome. I'm going to name my next kid Llewellyn. That's a girly name. I don't care. Sorry. I don't care. Agreed, it's a girly name. I was wondering the same thing. To me, that's just a Coen brother. Like, the Coen brothers always have some kind of sideways funniness. Yeah, somewhere. well, that's a Cormac McCarthy. All the names in the book are exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, I'm just going to give credit that's to the Coen brothers. That's why he reads the books, ladies and gentlemen. Even though that's false. I was giving Kyle shit about reading the books. This yeah. is why. Well, H.W.'s name in oil was Bunny, he so... He spent 20 hours reading oil... Oil! So that he could tell oh. us that all the names are original. In the, well, in the South, it's called <laughs> Oh. 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 No Country, six to two. Best, so you alluded to the, the comedic aspect of how they cut it. I actually think There Will Be Blood has funny moments in it, too. You have to watch it a few times, but after I watched it for the third time, I noticed the oh, yeah, dark like, ends of comedy. What's when he the- abandons his kid twice, dude, laughing my ass off the whole time. <laughs> Like, <laughs> this fucking kid. The kid's deaf <laughs> yeah. and he lost both of his He's parents. like, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> so, so he gets on the train and then leaves him. That's fucking hilarious. What the so fuck? So maybe this isn't a good category. Best dark comedy? No? Best dark comedy? <laughs> yeah, there's dark comedy in both I, of them. No Country for Old Men. Yep. Once again, I mean, by a landslide. Like, yeah. it's hard. Maybe I'm Here's really messed Here's the thing. Up, I loved There Will Be Blood, but it was very, like, I just can't get past the obvious showcase that it was for Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. It The movie succeeds in spite of that, uh, but when you're... I mean, not in spite of it. I mean, his performance was amazing, but it's, you know, it. I feel like he could have stood on stage and orated that movie and it would have gotten right. across just as well, whereas No Country is an ensemble situation where everybody is an important part, down to the random person at a desk at a, at a motel, point. you know? Mm-hmm. it It is a film. It's a complete experience and there are scenes in, in No Country where you're laughing and spite of yourself like yeah the one with the most poles in it dark yeah that kind of stuff it's like it's like uh i, I just need i just need the poles it's are like, you jacking with me boy yeah. don't jack with me Th- that kind of stuff <laughs> and even trying to get back across the border into the united states like how intense that border patrol officer was like better dark comedy no country easy. yeah but so i want to hear from you what what well, uh, are you talking about like, well what's, what's the funny moments there are moments where it's it's really the time that and and maybe because i read most of oil i read all of no country but half of oil there are moments where the language of the time makes me laugh like don't be thick with me al when he's mm. trying to buy the bandy's track and he, he doesn't know why don't be thick with me al like there's just little moments but again maybe i just i'm a sadist and <laughs> and i've watched that movie so many times that i think parts of it are really funny well brother eli would have yeah. a way to cast sadist out of your body well think about this too when he takes jabs at eli like after the first time he sees him cast out a ghost and he goes hell of a damn show you know he's like just yeah. the pre, he just he, oh that's a good jab he yeah. inserts hell of a damn show, jabs. Eli. Hell oh, of a yeah. damn show Eli you know it's like I mean I think there are moments of comedy because the tension between them is almost I, I can't help but view Plainview as like a like a barbershop piano playing quartet guy you know it's like there's because when you listen to the audio book of it that's the music they started off with so I can't help but view them that way and so there are to me there are comedic moments but I do give it to No Country because the jokes are great Plainview is such an Enneagram 3 just explain that. I don't know. I'm an achiever, out of sight, out of mind, kind of cold blooded and ruthless a little bit. You know, like when he obviously put a kid on a train and just drove away because he just didn't want to deal with it. Funniest scene in. Oh, we haven't even talked about the scene when the kid lost his hearing and he's looking at this thing burning and the oil shooting up and the that other character comes up and he said, "How's HW?" And he goes, "He and he doesn't break contact with the oil." Okay, and he's like, "Not good." And he said, "Not good." Yeah, that's right. And he doesn't lose sight of what is most important. To me, Genius. that was just like an uh, uh, it laid out. This is this character's priorities. He cares about oil. He loves his son. He wants to find a teacher for him. He wants to do what's right for him, but nothing is on top of Cares about all y'all. Yeah. Money and power. Side note, were they trying to make him look like a demon in that? Because if you notice, the black paint is almost perfectly circular around his eyes and the reflection of the flame. Oh, I did not get that. And the way he's staring. You ever notice his eyes are like like very glazed over in that movie? Like his eyes always look glazed over. And he's staring at the fire and the way it's like, I say that because of the religious confrontation that's happening. He looks demonic in that. The way he's not blinking and staring 
thing. And I don't know. <clears throat> there anyway. are some there are some dark religious themes in There Will Be Blood. Uh, but for co- dark comedy, yeah. yeah, I think there. Uh, no country. So There Will Be Blood is no, sorry, No Country for Old Men is bludgeoning There Will Be yeah, Blood seven with a bowling pin. <laughs> Seizing its own two. weapon against it. We still got two great categories left. I mean, and they're Good worth going God. through. <laughs> if you don't so want to go fucking categories. Best time transport, which I think is a great category. And then um, best resourcefulness. There's so much resourcefulness in these movies. Yeah. Think about it. Daniel Plainview at the very beginning when he breaks his leg, builds his own cast and crawls. And when Javier Bardem wants to blow up the pharmacy to get the medicine. I mean, how resourceful. Tent poles. Okay. That's a great to category. To me, that just, we can cover both of those. That goes to no country for old men. I was actually, I'd forgotten about this until you just said it. But I was like, how fucking extreme of it? This guy blows up a car so he can steal prescription drugs. Yep. Like, good God, that is over the top. <laughs> That's direct out There of the could book. have been Surely. other ways to go about that shit, but he's like, it's also an like, awesome get scene. a doctor's appointment. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah. or like smash a, a window or do something, ca- light a, a trash can on fire out front. But this guy blows up a car to go steal drugs. Like, dude, that guy, there he doesn't know a middle ground. It's all tent poles for me. Yeah. The fact that he hides money in an air duct, tapes together tent poles to get it out. Genius. And rents another hotel room on the other side and knows which one connects to that air duct. And works in that brilliant side character again, the hotel clerk. Yep. You can just have the one right next to your room if you yeah. want. He's like, no, nah, There's going to be a lot of there will be blood lifers on Reddit just yeah. giving a shit. How can you give it no country for all me? The Cohen brothers, you blah, blah. Fuck you. you I think you're overstating our, our Reddit support. <laughs> I don't care. All it takes is one. <laughs> one person to piss in a pot of soup fucking ruins it. So, All right, last category, and it's worth going through. It's eight to two, no country uh, here, but this last category is a really good one because this could go no country, but the best time transport, which film took you back to the era it's filmed in the best? There Will Be Blood by a landslide because I honestly kept forgetting what year No Country was supposed to be taking place in because to me, everything just looked old in No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that it took you back to the time. To me, it just meant it took place in an, an impoverished area, maybe where they didn't have, you know, where people drove old cars or, you know, whatever. That movie was supposed to take place in 1980, if I'm not mistaken. And, and like, it does. It, there wasn't anything overtly 70s or 80s about that film and the aesthetic of it. It just, it looked like a cool Western where everything kind of just floated along with the Western theme. Whereas uh, There Will Be Blood, it did a million things well, but if it did one thing extremely well, you felt like you got to look into that time period of that burgeoning American economy yeah. and growing and that push toward the West and, and the way they like used, you know, the oil aspect of it to really drive home the fact that this was early growth America. This was early 1900s. The automobile was coming of age. Oil was becoming a factor. Like I was in on There Will Be Blood and the the time period far more than I was No Country for Old Men in the time period. You know, I went There Will Be Blood too, although I think it's so cool. The only way that you know what year it is and no country is that he says he has a quarter as 1958 and he said he's been traveling 22 years. You never know what year it is other than the fact that you had to do that math. And I did that math. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, it's a cool thing. But to me, the the what year it is is not as important in No Country for Old Men. That's a very modern story. And you could tell that in a very modern setting. There Will Be Blood is so much about the rugged aspect of that industry, of what it was like to live. Like the yeah. part when he's like, remember when he's telling the speech to the little Boston town and he's like, no child should not have bread. You know, he's like, there will be, he goes, let's talk about bread. I do not mean to offend. It just reminds you that there was a time without Mm. cell phones where kids only ate what was theirs. Yeah, I mean, now these days, if I want bread, I just call the bread store and they bring it to me with my cell phone. And there's like 20 bread stores. You yeah. know, there's so many bread. There's stores. a bread store in every corner now. <laughs> yeah. So I give it to, to There Will Be Blood because it is crazy to think that this is based on, because the book Oil is based on a real thing. Yeah, Oil, um, it's very real. Yeah. So anyway, I give it to, so you There Will Be Blood, I'm There Will Be Blood. What do you think? Best time transport. Yeah, I wasn't ever really aware of time watching No Country for Old Men, which, but I mean, props. I think they're, yeah. they're accomplishing something there when, you know, you've got old timeless trucks and you've got horses and you've got a desert landscape and there's like kind of a timeless like it's it's you know 20th century obviously but you don't really know when it's taking is it the 70s is it the 90s is it the 80s is it current like you don't really know um but i think there will be blood just the, the oil aspect to me is an obvious giveaway like oh this is like a story about the foundation of the oil industry and you know gas and a, a lot of america's wealth was built on these things and you know so 
I, I think I gotta go. There will be blood. Well, eight to three, no country. I mean, no country took its boots off, got white socks, put a silence on a shotgun, and just mowed over. There will be blood on this podcast. That's not to say it's they're not that there will be blood's a lesser film. These are two incredible films, and uh, I just want to thank you two for letting us do this today. This is the reason I want to do this podcast. These two movies, I love these movies. I love the book No Country. This has just been this was more fun incredible than incredible films, even man. Like yeah. what, nothing to thank. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. was a no Kyle for old men. Two of the, I mean. And these uh, might there might be, be two of my favorite films we, we've watched oh, yeah. for this podcast. Oh, trust yeah. me, I, I mean, know. They were, there will be blood is based on the book. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. <laughs> no Kyle for old men. But uh, anyway, two great films, and I want to thank you again. And, and Drew said it earlier, but this is our eighth episode since we started the first episode, launched it April first. We've amassed you know 140 Facebook fans, some odd, or 145 as of today, which isn't like thousands and thousands, but these are 140 people that wait for our podcast to drop, listen to it, and you are our people. We love you. Um, this is just the beginning. So thank you for being with us and thank you for sticking through us through all these amazing films and we love you. And if you're listening in 2030, we have millions of fans. So you're just one of millions. That's Hope right. You feel small. Just like We've these forgotten about me you. Feel small. There will be Drew. Enjoy the t-shirt that we sent you for episode 36 or whatever. I don't even yeah. fucking know what's going on. <laughs> and when you go to sleep in your sleep capsule on your on your Mars condominium, think of us. Yeah. Be like, wow, look at this old movie podcast I found. Check out our new episode. <laughs> no Lord planet. of the Rings reboot versus Star Wars episode 38. Yeah. There will be. But we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get yeah. to that. Anyway, thank you. I'm Kyle. I'm Drew. And I'm Phil. Love you. Bye. Finished. <laughs> Drew, Phil, and I want to thank you for hanging out with us on the Movie Wars podcast. If you want to hang out with us until the next episode drops, find us on Instagram and TikTok, username Movie Wars Podcast. If you really love us and want to support us financially, we would love you back for it. Contributing to us on Patreon not only supports us financially, but it gets you access to private content that's not available to everyone. Thank you again for hanging out with Drew, Phil, and I. We love you. Have a great week.